If you're visiting with us, this is not a norm for us as a, a service, but this is a, a special time for those of us that attend here all regularly. We've, we've come to ordain uh, as an elder and as a pastor one of our own, and that's David Briggs. Um, oh, great. Thank you. I, I, couldn't, I couldn't agree with you more. I, uh, I have grown to fall in love uh, with David Briggs. Uh, he is, um, he is a, a man of God, and um, I, I can say so much more about him. Um, let me just say some of the things what the Bible has to say. Um, it's one of my favorite honors to do within the church is to see a man called into ministry, to see one come from our, our own midst who, who bubbles up, rises up, and who has been called by God to, to be in in ministry with us. The Rock Community Church bases its elders' choice on Scripture. We do not base it on tradition, nor do we base it on a, a personal philosophy of, of what we think is, is right. What does this person look like as far as we're concerned? We want to see what does God have to say, and we hold tightly here to the Word of God. And so it in, in 1 Timothy, I want to read out of 1 Timothy chapter 3 and, and Titus chapter 1. They're very similar, but they kind of succinctly say what I would like to say about Pastor Dave. Um, Timothy, Paul begins in the third chapter, the first verse, by saying, it is a trustworthy statement. Let me repeat that. He says, it is a trustworthy statement. If any man aspires to the office of elder, it is a fine work that he desires to do. And then Paul goes on to give the qualifications of what this man ought to look like within the family of God. He says an elder then must be above reproach. He must be the husband of one wife. He must be temperate, prudent, respectable, hospitable, able to teach. He ought not to be addicted to wine nor pugnacious, but rather he should be gentle, peaceable, free from the love of money. He must be one who manages his own household well, keeping his children under control with all dignity. But if a man does not know how to manage his own household, how will he take care of the church of God? It says in verse 6 that he must not be a new convert so that he will not become conceited or fall into the condemnation occurred by the devil. And he must have a good reputation, it says. A good reputation with those outside the church so that he will not fall into reproach and the snares of the devil. In Titus, we read quite similar words. In Titus chapter 1, verses 5 through 9, it says, For this reason I left you in Crete, so that you would set in order what remains and appoint elders in every city as I have directed you. And then he goes on to say what was said in 1 Timothy. He says, If, if any man is above reproach, if he was the husband of one wife, having children who believe, not accused of dissipation or rebellion. For the overseer, the elder, must be above reproach as God's steward, must not be self-willed, not quick-tempered, not addicted to wine, not pugnacious, not fond of sordid gain, but rather he should be hospitable, loving what is good, loving what is sensible, just, devout, self-controlled. He should hold fast to the faithful word which is in accordance with the teaching. 
so that he is able to do both, to exhort in sound doctrine and refute those who contradict. There are four parts to the process where God calls a man into service and where we, you and I, importantly, we as a church ordain him. There is a call into service. There is a study of his character, which we have done. There is a a commission that he has to the church. And ultimately, there is our commitment to him as a servant of God within our midst. So let's take a look at these four, just briefly. The call. Well, we just read out of 1 Timothy chapter 3 that if anyone, if any man aspires to be an elder, Paul writes, it is a fine work that this man desires to do. David will share more about this later on this morning. But I remember some years ago him telling me that he felt the call of God upon his life at 10 years old. When he told me that, I, I tucked that statement away in my heart, and I, I closely watched it, Dave, from that point forward. And over time, it became obvious to me that God had placed his hands upon Dave. And I know his HBF group would, would concur with that decision. God has his hands all over this young man. What about his character? Well, his character doesn't have to line up with what the world thinks is prosperous. No, his character ought to be godly in lifestyle. That's what will qualify him as an elder. And as we've been looking at David for several years, we have examined and we have seen that he has passed this test with flying colors. We had asked you to consider him, that that we told you this for months, and, and if anyone had any, anything that they wanted to say about David, please let us know. And we need, you need to know that he passed with flying colors, both inside these four walls of the church and into his business life with his associates as well. What is his commission? Well, the responsibility of an elder is, is, is mentioned very clearly in Acts chapter 6. The apostles had started the church in Jerusalem, and, and they became overwhelmed by the numbers, and they became overwhelmed by the duties. And so they made this statement in Acts chapter 6, verse 2, 3, and 4. The, the, the apostles, the twelve of them, summoned the congregation and said, It is not desirable for us to neglect the word of God in order to serve the tables. Therefore, they suggested to select from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Spirit, full of wisdom, who we may put in charge of that task. In the meantime, they say in verse 4, we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of God's Word. That's what an elder does. I have a favorite place in Scripture that, that connects itself with that statement, to prayer and to ministry of the Word of God. It is one of those places in my Bible that I have highlighted. I have my initials next to. It's kind of it's, it's not my life verse, but it could be like my life verse. It is a, it is a verse about a, a man named Ezra. Ezra chapter 7, verse 10. It said that Ezra, first and foremost, set his heart. Ezra set his heart. The moment I read that, I stopped. I wondered, what did Ezra set his heart upon? And it says that Ezra set his heart upon three things. 
to study the Word of God, to practice what he had learned, and to teach it. I found that very interesting that God put that order together to study, then to practice, and then to teach. There are many, many people out there in this world in which we live that are pastors who study and teach, and when they get around to it, they practice what they've learned. That's not the order that God proposes for us as a church. We want people who lead us, whether it be men or women, to be people who study the Word of God, practice what they have learned as a way of life, and then teach it. Then teach it. I love Ezra for that. And so the elder must have that same character trait. He ought to live out his, the word that he studies to practice it before he teaches it. And I love what Ezra said. He set his heart to do these things. I will say in David Briggs, we have a man devoted to that order, to prayer, to study, to practice what he has studied and then to teach and to shepherd the flock of God. Again, if you just talk and ask his HBF group, they will concur with what we are just saying. But ultimately, you and I have a, a charge. You and I have a call upon this moment as a body of believers. And that is our commitment to him and the leadership of our church. In Hebrews chapter 13 we are forewarned. Listen to what it says. Talking about through Jesus Christ, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of our lips that gives thanks to His name. That should be our purpose, to continually give praise to the Lord our God through His Son, Jesus Christ. It says, do not neglect doing good or sharing for with such sacrifices, God is well pleased. Then it says in verse 17, Obey your leaders, submit to them. Obey your leaders, submit to them. For they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. You see, to be a, a place of leadership within a church is, is an awesome task. It's not for the faint of heart. Because... We are to watch over the souls that the Lord God has, has entrusted us for this period of time. And we are to give Him an account of how we do this. It says, though, let them, let the leaders do this with joy and not with grief. For this would be unprofitable for us as a body of believers. Ultimate, it says... Pray. Pray for your leaders. For we are sure that we have a good conscience, desiring to conduct ourselves honorably in all things. And that's the type of men that... Gosh, I just realized I'm, I'm, that's, I'm bragging. I don't mean that. I'm, I'm talking about David. I'm talking about Rob. I'm talking about Brian. I, and, and, and without knowing, I was lumping myself in there. But the fact of the matter is, we do. We do count it a privilege to, to, to try to see where is God going? What is God doing? What does He want for us as a body of believers? What does He want for us as a church? 
And how can we best help make that happen? Well, I've surrounded us as a church um, with four guys, three really, myself being the fourth, that we meet regularly and we, we really pray for this body of believers. The, the one I would like to introduce to you first <clears throat> before we meet David, we're going to meet Rob and also Brian uh, Thompson. And then, and then David Briggs will come up and share. But we've asked Rob to come up and, and to, to show you the structure. What is, what is the structure of our church? Who are the people that, that have some sort of leadership and, and some sort of say in where we're going, what we're trying to do, and, and seek after God's heart? And I said before, and I know it's embarrassing, but he is, he is one of the most godly young men I have ever had the privilege of knowing. If, if, uh, if, I, if I, could, I could just brag on him all this service, and we're not honoring Rob, we're honoring David. I could do the same for both of them, but I get to introduce Rob. And I, I've said this before, and I say it again. If I would have known Chuck Smith, when Chuck Smith, the, the great pastor of all those Calvary churches, if I would have known him when he was a young man, and I know him very well now, I believe he would have, I believe Rob would have looked like him, acted like him. I, I really have a great admiration for, for Rob Selleck. And so Rob is going to show you the structure of our church, and he is a gifted young man whom I love very deeply. Uh, so Rob, please come. Thanks, man. Why don't you tell him about my, my need? you want to pray for me? Yeah. Okay. We want to let you know, too, uh, before we get into the structure, is uh, the structure of Johnny e is in need of rehab. So he's going into surgery on Tuesday morning. Um, so keep him in his prayer, uh, your prayers. And um, we look, yeah. So let's go ahead and pray for him real quick and kind of for the service. Uh, dear Heavenly Father, Lord, it is your name we want to lift up and praise. We thank you for this church, uh, for the people. Uh, Lord, we pray for uh, John's knee and the doctors, everyone involved with that, that your hand would be upon them and guide them. Uh, give John and Kay comfort as uh, he is restored. Uh, Lord, we thank you for the service, for David Briggs, uh, for everything you've done in his life. Um, Lord, that your name would be glorified through him, uh, this church. Uh, thank you for this time, Lord. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you. We'll just act like you're not there. So I'm the guy that was uh, asked to talk about the structure of the church. We're going to try to make this uh, painless and simple, uh, go through it fairly quick. Um, when it comes to structure of a church, the Bible gives us a lot of details as to the character of a pastor and elder, what to look for, and um, a lot that we can look at, but actually how the church is set up and structured and organized, it's kind of left to the discretion of the local church. So when we're talking about this, this is kind of how we've set it up for where we're at, for who we have, um, for how we believe we can glorify Christ through our church and best train, equip, and utilize you and give you a position to serve, which we're called to do within the body of Christ. So with that being said, uh, we kind of broke it up into uh, several different sections. The first one we're going to start with is like more of the legal and financial, just because that's a part of the structure of the church. So we do have a board of directors. Our church is a corporation. It's a 5013C nonprofit corporation. And because of that, we do have requirements by the IRS that we must meet. One of those is that we have a board of directors. 
Our bylaw requires that we have a minimum of five people. The board of directors does kind of slowly rotate where we bring some people on, release some people, and that um, rotates through. This is our current board. Uh, my background is uh, business, and I do have quite a bit of ministry experience just through the church here. John um, is required to be on our board by our bylaws, so he's just forced to be on the team. Well, <laughs> he, um, Brian Thompson's got a lot of uh, management, management background, and his career uh, background is in benefits and HR type stuff, so he brings a, a fountain of knowledge. James Morris has executive management background and is a computer guru. Um, so he knows all the IT software and stuff like that, so he's great. Uh, Jeff Ochoa brings a lot of things, but the thing that I think we all value the most about what Jeff brings to this is the very heart of our church. He knows our church. He knows our people. The DNA of Jeff is kind of what we're thinking, this is great, and we want somebody on that team that represents that. So that is our board of directors. Um, it is a required by law. We have to have it. In the views of the government, when they look at our church, this is who they would kind of hold responsible, that, that team. Moving on. The business team um, is involved in more of the day-to-day -day type of financial decisions. So all the money that kind of comes in and all the money that goes out would be reviewed and okayed uh, by the business team. Uh, that would include our budgets, all the ministry activities, the cost um, raises, any of that type of stuff uh, would be looked at and taken care of by the business team. Kendall Benson's a huge asset for that. A lot of executive management background, um, banking background. He's got an economics degree from Stanford, sharp guy. He speaks the lingo and he can read the contracts. Um, he is a needed member. Um, Janetta's background is accounting, bookkeeping, um, and kind of an HR view. We met Janetta years ago. She's been on our staff for quite a while. Uh, she was actually the trainer for the software we use to run our church. She's the one that came out and trained us how to use it. And uh, we fell in love with Janetta. Great godly woman and is a huge asset. So enough about the legal and uh, the financial end of it, but that's kind of the structure of it. <clears throat> Moving on to our staff. These would be our uh, three staff members. Um, I've said this in other services, but if you ever wanted to invite somebody over to your house for lunch or take somebody out for dinner, I would really encourage you to maybe meet these people and do that. Fine, fine, fine individuals. Um, and they are a blessing to our church. If you see them around, at least maybe throw them a thank you. They, all of them, have served our church and have proven to be warriors, literally, for this place. Uh, we would not be the church we are without them. Um, I can't stress that enough. Unfortunately, the, 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 the things we put under their names don't represent enough of what they do. It, it's nice, but Jenny does communications and events and a lot more. And yeah, if you're involved with ministry, I, you're just sitting there probably agreeing with me. Um, Brooke is, is very talented, um, graphics. She creates all the stuff you guys see on the web, the bulletins, um, everything. So every ministry, every program we have, the logo, um, in charge of kind of the advertisement of it. And I've talked about Janetta, just the bookkeeping, accounting, and HR. Um, great team. So that's staff. Now we're moving into the pastoral and the ministry side of our church. This would be our leadership team. Uh, this team meets together, as John said, um, at least once a week, and we probably average anywhere from three to six hours of stuff. Um, and this is the team that kind of would handle any of the situations or the going-ons of the church. Um, the purpose of this team is to, uh, to make sure what we do as a church is glorifying to God. And the second thing we'd want to make sure is that whatever we decide is glorifying to God, we can back that up through Scripture. 
So we can look in the Bible and say, this is what we've based this decision off of, and we believe this glorifies God. Um, within this team, we've kind of broken it up into where we all have a focus. And that's really what we want to share with you guys to kind of see then how the ministry side of it is broken up um, through that focus. Um, we're going to start with myself. I would kind of be the overseer of from nursery up to the 24-year-olds, kind of everything that happens in between there. Um, we have a great team of people. Again, the hard thing about slides is it just doesn't represent everyone who does it. So we kind of put who we officially have overseeing different aspects of this. But you can multiply these names by six, and that would probably be a little bit more accurate of who, you know, the people helping out. Um, starting with children's ministry, my wife and I are directors of it. The reality is she's the director of it. I just got to take a picture with her. Um, a lot of good people uh, helping in children's, and the Lord is moving in children's ministry um, just as an update, too. It's just uh, things are happening up there. Uh, we, last week, we had 111 kids. To give you perspective, at Easter, we had 85. Perspective on that, in February, when me and my wife got involved, it was in 52. So, I mean, it's just the, the, the ministry is growing, the servants are growing, um, tying into student ministries. Anthony's the overseer with Genevieve of student ministries, and we had that broken up between junior high and high school, and then gender within that, and those are the shepherds. What we're really trying to focus on is our curriculum. We want to take them, when we start teaching them, giving them instruction, all the way up to when they turn into an adult, is we want to make sure the curriculum and what we're teaching them are building blocks, and there's a sequence to it. So we have implemented new curriculum from sixth grade down, and we're working on then tying our junior high and up to that. The end-all, be-all goal is we want to turn over to the church an equipped, trained adult for service. That would be the, the, the goal of children's and students. So moving on. <clears throat> this would be Dave Briggs' umbrella. So I'm 24 and under. Dave Briggs is 25 and up with life expectancy growing. It's just getting to be a bigger and bigger group. Um, so <laughs> yeah, amen. Um, <clears throat> that, that's a lot of stuff that uh, Dave is going to be kind of overseeing. And I want to stress really the goal of us overseeing it isn't to dabble our fingers and, and to change it all up, but is to come alongside and assist. And you're going to hear from Dave and Brian and probably hear their hearts on that. Um, we want to let the ministries know that who they can go to if there's a problem, a concern, a need, uh, if they need help, advice, whatever that is, uh, and give them a connection into leadership so we can get them answers and come alongside them. Um, those are the ministries. It also, Dave's going to kind of be the overseer of small groups. We can break small groups up in a lot of different ways. There's men's small groups. Uh, those are the days and times and kind of the persons. If you're interested, give them a uh, contact them. We'd love to get you signed up. We also have young adults. We just started uh, one for the young men. Zach Miller's leading it. He's a fantastic young man. Uh, Karen Thompson's been doing one with our women, uh, young women on uh, Thursday nights. Our women's groups, um, those are the leaders for our women's groups and the times and days for that. And then we got, what, HBF groups. Uh, we, we stress all of our small groups, but man, if we could encourage everyone in our church to be a part of an HBF, we have a high value of HBF groups. Um, we've seen the benefit time and time again, uh, kind of where the big church gets small. And um, so those are our current HBF groups um, that you can be a part of. If, if you have a desire to lead uh, an HBF or to host one, we're always looking to add more. Uh, we can give you the training for that and uh, kind of hold your hand through that process until you feel comfortable. Uh, we would love to talk to you, but love for you to get involved. 
Uh, Dave will also be kind of overseeing the various classes uh, that we put on. We really want to start focusing on these types of adult education. Our very first ones going on this service, which I believe we said we had 30 people up there in that room. If we could break a hole in that wall, we could see them. Um, then they just started their marriage one, so that was a great turnout. But we're going to keep that classroom busy. That was a huge benefit of getting our own building, is we want to start doing these types of three to, say, eight-week programs that we can run through here on marriage, parenting, finances. The Renaults are going to do one on prayer. We've got a business one that's being looked at to be implemented for leadership. Um, so we want to keep that going, and uh, Dave will oversee that, as well as maybe during a different service, some adult Sunday school classes where we can start studying through some books of the Bible and stuff like that. So <clears throat> up and coming, uh, we've been meeting with some people, and this will be under Dave also, is just community outreach. We have a lot of people in this church that have a heart for the community, and we're called for it. Um, people that really want to start reaching out to the homeless, all the way we were just last week talking about a possibility of a jail ministry. So um, a lot of stuff looking forward uh, that we can look forward to in that genre. So that's, I'm 24 and under, Dave's 25 and up, and then Brian Thompson, his focus is going to be, he's going to be kind of the oversee everything that would involve service and servants. So not necessarily age-specific type ministries, but um, like ushers, greeters, hospitality, the, 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 the kitchen, um, <clears throat> things that are up there. Um, and what we want to do is, is make sure that within all these types of ministries that there is kind of a synergy and a center focus that we are constantly training people and looking for new people and have a channel to take people that are new to our church and get them plugged into ministry. Uh, so we just believe that this structure is going to help uh, with a lot of these types of things. And the last member of the four-man team is John, and uh, it's pretty evident what he does uh, his list looks small up there, but the reality is he's uh, invaluable, at least for the rest of us. We get a glean from him um, and get a lot of years of ministry experience. So his primary role, though, is uh, being the primary spiritual teacher of our church. And then um, he would technically oversee this corporate time of worship. So um, that is the structure of the church in a nutshell without being too long. Is, uh, thank you guys. It's a privilege for me to serve at this church, and I would like to introduce Brian Thompson, and he's got a couple things he would like to share with you guys, so come on up. All right. Thanks, Rob. Um, so I'm super excited to be in this new role. Uh, for me, I would say my passion is really helping make it easier for other servants to step in and serve wherever God would have you. So I thought right now I'd just kind of give a brief testimony of how serving Jesus at The Rock has really impacted and really transformed my life and the life of my family. So five years ago, Jenny Johnson, along with Rob and Beth Selick, invited me and my wife, and my wife was the one playing piano with me today, so that's so cute, right? <laughs> so we they invited us to serve as shepherds in the student ministries. Um, us, Amy and I both were saved at an early age and raised in a Christian home and grew up in the church. But at the time, we were going to The Rock, our, we were really focused on our careers, right? So God wasn't necessarily our top priority, and spending extra time at church to volunteer was nowhere near the top. But we said yes, kind of with the initial perspective of, you know, it's only a couple hours a week, uh, it'd be nice of us, right, to help out these high schoolers. Let's go for it. We could not have been more surprised how quickly God changed our hearts, expanded that perspective, changed our minds. Um, for us, when we joined a servant team, that feeling of being plugged in was immediate. 
uh, we had a community, we had a purpose together, we had uh, influence with these kids and ministry in their lives. Uh, we also had accountability and encouragement from all the friends we made on that team. Not to mention great teaching. We got to go to first service with Pastor John, and then second service we got to go hear Rob in 180. So another fruit of joining a servant team for us was just our increased knowledge and understanding of God's word and our overall spiritual growth. So over these past five years, God has continued to shift and reshape our focuses to where now the privilege of serving together as a family in this church with these people is truly one of our top priorities. Uh, myself, I've served in a few different areas over that same time frame. Um, and when approached, I guess only a couple of them did I really think that I would naturally do well at, right? So, but maybe there was a need, so I tried it out. That wasn't always my attitude. Um, if Anthony were here, I'd have him tell you, but a conversation he and I had years ago went something like this. Uh, you know, sure, I'll play guitar for you, Anthony, but I will never, you'll never put a microphone in front of me. I'll never be singing up here. <laughs> so, and he tells it even stronger. Like, I was like, drop it. Don't bring it up again, you know. <laughs> um, along the way, God has obviously changed my perspective there, too, my attitude. And I've became more and more willing to say yes to roles that maybe I didn't necessarily think that I would be gifted at myself. And why? Because I got to see how God used those weaknesses to magnify his strength, and to show his glory all the more. So um, right now, <clears throat> I'd like to read a passage from 1 Peter. It's in chapter 4, verses 10 and 11. It says, As each has received a gift, Scripture teaches us that all of us as believers have received a gift. 1 Corinthians 12 puts it this way, To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. So back to 1 Peter. As each has received a gift... Use it. Another translation says, employ it. Use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves, and this is key, it's not of our own strength, but as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. And that, in essence, our is our vision for servant ministries. First, that we would all, all of us, actively seek to identify the gifts that we have received through prayer, asking the Holy Spirit to reveal us those gifts. Also, by stepping in to new opportunities to serve, trying out different things, regardless if you think you may be good at it or not. Watch God work through you. Second, that we would all be good stewards in using and employing those gifts, not with our own strength, but with God's strength. And lastly, we do all of this with a primary focus to glorify Him who has saved us. So, for those of you currently on servant teams, I am excited to come alongside you, continue serving with you, and share in that responsibility of leadership with your current team leads. And for those of you not, I am excited to identify more opportunities, build more teams, and make it easier for all of you to be able to step in and serve wherever God may have you. So thank you, and with that... I have the privilege, I have the honor of inviting Pastor David Briggs up to the pulpit. Oh my goodness. Um, you know, when Pastor John was reading out of 1 Timothy and Titus, um, I've studied those passages. 
I, today was the first day I've ever heard them read or somebody was going to put my name near anywhere near that topic um, even be mentioned. And, and, and here, this is what went through my mind. It's just the truth. Those are things that God gives you. Those are things that, that come from Christ. They are not a thing that I feel proud of or, oh, hey, yeah, that's me, John. Wait a, thanks for describing me to the T. <laughs> no, no. I mean, if, if, if Christ wasn't in my life, uh, I wouldn't be at this church, and you would not want me up here talking to you. Um, it's, uh, we're here today to honor the Lord. It's, it's, it's the power of what Jesus Christ can do to first save a life, and then come in and transform that life, and then take all of the, the stuff that we are, our weaknesses, our strengths, our mistakes, our stupid ideas, our good ideas, all of those things, he takes them all, and through his power and his will that is impossible to understand, he gets you where he wants you to go. And that's really the story of, of my life. I just want to share very quickly kind of a backstory. So, I mean, you could sort of say, you know, a funny thing happened on the way to the pulpit. It, it, it took me 50 years to get here. That's the truth. Uh, I came to Christ in, on March 30th, 19. 64, just a couple of months before my 10th birthday. Now, I would have come to Christ just to make my parents happy. I would have, but I didn't do it for that reason because I had a better reason. Here was my better reason. I understood that God loved me. I understood that he wanted to give me eternal life. And I understood that he had this wonderful plan and he wanted to have a relationship with me. How do you say no to that? One of the beautiful things about being young, being a child, oh, by the way, thank you for saying young man. Thank you, John. I wanted to thank you for that. <laughs> you can say that as much as you want. Uh, one of the wonderful things about being a child is sometimes you can see things so much more clearly than when you're an adult. So when I looked at what Jesus was offering, I didn't have to do a lot of figuring, and I didn't have to contemplate it. I, I, you know, it's like, weigh your options. Do I want hmm, heaven or hell? Do I want all of God's blessings in my life or do I want none of those? I mean, come on, this was a no-brainer. And I understood that in heaven, I just said I understood. You know, I still can't quite comprehend it, but I understand that in heaven, God made a choice. He said, I'm going to send my son, my only son, Jesus, to die on the cross, a terrible death, so little David Briggs of Whittier can be saved. God chose to give up his son for me. I couldn't, couldn't say no to that. So I came to Christ because I wanted to with all my heart. And my life changed immediately. Okay, now remember I told you I wasn't quite 10. <laughs> so it wasn't like, oh yes, I gave up my life of crime and corruption. <laughs> you know, uh, what happened was, though, I was a very, I was a pretty nervous child. Um, sometime in the school district back then, when school districts had money, there used to be a child psychologist that would come pretty regularly to pay a visit to talk to me to see how I was doing. When I came to Christ, I was instantly happier and more secure than I'd ever been before in my life. And I remember I used to, in fourth grade, um, fourth grade was kind of a rough year for me. And I remember when I got to the crossing guard and, and we'd cross the street to go to the elementary school, that's usually when my stomach would start to hurt. Oh, I got to go to school. 
that day, the day after I prayed to ask Jesus to be my Savior, I remember stepping off the curb and feeling like my feet didn't touch the cement. And I just breezed across there with joy. I felt like Christ was holding my hand. I mean, I didn't feel him, but I felt like that. And I felt like, wait a minute, everywhere I go from now on, the Son of God is going with me. I had security and joy that I'd never had before. That summer, between my fourth grade and fifth grade year, I kind of made it a project to read the Bible all the way through. I didn't, I didn't understand every word that I read, but this is what I did understand. I, thought, I remember reading thinking, these are the most important words I've ever read. This is the import, most important thing I could ever know. This is amazing. This is God's word. To, this is what God's trying to tell me. Oh, my gosh. And the more I read, I had this feeling that God had something special he wanted me to do when I was older, something wonderful. And that made me feel like I wanted to know his word then, the Bible, as best as I possibly could. A short time later, we were in church, and I was in the back with my parents, and I noticed up front, before the service began, there were just a few men uh, kneeling and praying uh, for the start of the service. They wore uh, black suits and white shirts and really thin ties. That was the style. And I, I just was amazed with these. I couldn't take my eyes off of them. And my mother told me, well, those are the elders of the church. I had no idea what an elder was. I'd never even heard that word before. But as I looked at them, I vividly remember where I was sitting in the church, and it was like I just had this feeling of... God saying, David, I want you to be one of those men one day. That's when I was about 10. When I was 20, <clears throat> I went to Biola University to get a degree in communication and in Bible, preparing to be a pastor. That was what I had declared when I went to college. But I didn't end up in the pulpit. I ended up in Hollywood, directing commercials and special films. I still felt the call of ministry in my life, but I also felt God just opened doors and led me into film production. And over the years that followed, God really blessed me with some wonderful success. And in those years, I got really busy. And I had church stuff that I was doing. I had a lot of business stuff. I was growing a production company in addition to the other things I was doing. I had a family, I bought an airplane, lots of things, and I needed to prioritize. It's too busy. So when I set up my priorities, I put family, career, my airplane, some other things, and I just kind of put Jesus a little further down the list. And over time, I stopped going to church altogether. I always knew that, that one day I would be back in church. I knew it. I knew it. I knew it. But that one day turned into months. And those months turned into years that I was away from worshiping and serving the God that I love so much. Jumping ahead to 9-11. We all remember that awful day. Well, when those Twin Towers fell... I didn't realize it at the time, but my empire, my career was about to go crashing down with them. 
what happened was our whole country went into this nervous wait-and-see attitude. Everybody paused. All business, all commerce kind of stopped, if you could. So all of my clients postponed their contracts. And they postponed them. They put them on hold, a really long, long hold. So all of a sudden, I mean, all of a sudden, I had no income and no prospects. So uh, turned out I lost my big house. I lost my small fortune. I lost just about every material thing I had been working for. I want to tell you, though, uh, <laughs> thankfully, I married really, 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 really well. And my wife, Joni, and my two daughters just stayed close by my side that whole time, so we went through it as a family. But you know, um, suddenly, without any career distractions, without my inflated ego, it was just God and I again. And I did what I did when I was 10 years old. I reached for my Bible. I really did have to dust it off. It had been a while since I had cracked it open. But when I started to read, wow, I just remember hours. The hours went by like minutes. I just was reading and reading and reading. And my love for his word came charging back, just storming back into my life. I felt like I couldn't get enough. It was kind of what it would be like maybe if you were starving and you sat down at a banquet. I just could not get enough. And then I, um, I remember the afternoon, I started to pray. And um, uh, first I stood, and, and, and then I kneeled, and then I just laid flat face first on the carpet. And I confessed my sin. And I, I told my God, you know, Father, I, um, I've ruined everything. You had this wonderful plan for me. You, you sent me to the best schools. You sent me to a wonderful church. You gave me all these opportunities. I know you wanted me to teach your word and grow up and be an elder. And I've, I've ruined it. I've, I've blown it. And I told the Lord... I said, Father, I know you can never use me again. I, I understand that, but please forgive me. And I knew God did forgive me because my life verse at that time that I was clinging to was Psalm 51:17, that says, a broken and contrite heart, oh God, you will not despise. So I knew I, knew I was forgiven, but I was also quite certain I could be no further use to God. So... I needed to find a church because I had moved from La Mirada and I moved to Yorba Linda by that time. And the Lord led me to some movie theaters in Anaheim. <laughs> and I, there I heard a preacher named John Warhaus speak. And that first Sunday, um, very much like the prodigal son, I was broken, I was humbled, but I knew I was home. Joni and I sat in the back of those theaters for a couple of weeks and, and listened to John teach. And I, I honestly, when I think about it, I probably didn't really listen. I think I more, more like I, I absorbed the words. It was like the words skipped my ears and were just going right in my heart. 
And I know at that time, John, I guess you were speaking for 45 minutes, and I promise you it's felt like four to five minutes to me. I couldn't believe when he would open the Bible, start teaching, and then he would be closing in prayer. Like, what, what happened to the other 40 minutes? We just, it was just, I just was soaking it up. And God's word from your lips, John, um, just lit me up. And I started to feel young again. One Sunday, <laughs> I, uh, Joni and I got brave, and we kind of moved from the back or near the back, and I decided, let's sit in the front row. So we sat in the front row of the theaters. I sat on the aisle, and John announced that day that we were going to have communion, and that, I was excited about that. I was raised in a friend's church in La Mirada, and we did not practice communion. So I knew what it was, but I'd never done it in my life, and I'd never even really seen it done except maybe at a Catholic wedding, and I figured, okay, well, we probably do it differently than the Catholic wedding, so I can't wait to see it. I can't wait to participate. This will be wonderful. Trouble was, <laughs> when the time for communion came at the end of the service, remember, I was front row aisle. Well, the ushers came to me first and, and handed me a silver tray full of these little cups of wine or juice. I didn't know, and I'm, I'm probably the last person, I'm the last person that should have been first because I was looking forward to seeing what other people did so I would know what to do. And here they hand the guy that knows nothing about communion this tray of little cups. And I thought, okay, now what do I do? Do I, um, do I take a cup and then do I pass the tray? Kind of like an offering format, maybe that makes sense. Or do, or do I take a cup and hand the tray back to the usher, because maybe for communion, the usher is supposed to bring it to each person, very ceremonial. I thought maybe that could be. And then I thought, well, okay, maybe I should take a cup. I'm supposed to drink it now and put the empty back in and then pass it. I didn't know. So I made a split-second decision. I took a cup. I didn't drink it. And I passed the tray. And I watched other people and was like, I did the right thing. That was exactly the right thing to do. And I felt so relieved until the usher showed up again with another tray. <laughs> this one was silver, a little smaller. This one had these little bread wafers in it. And again, I wondered, okay, I probably take one, but do you take two? Do you take a handful? <laughs> and I wondered how many more trays were coming. <laughs> it's a silly story, but it's the absolute truth. And I want to tell you, though, I remember that first communion. Um, I cried through the whole thing. I still often do. Um, because for the very first time, holding that cup of juice and vividly seeing that Jesus poured out his blood for me and eating that bread and realized this isn't a make-believe. This is real. His dead body hung on the cross for me. Like that's a fair trade. Jesus Christ for David Briggs, that's a fair trade. Yet that's exactly the trade that God wanted to make. One Sunday after that, Pastor John preached a message I will never forget. He just happened to have mentioned that he watched a poker tournament on television. And he said that he loved the moment in the poker tournament when the winning player went all in. Now, I'm, certain, I'm certain I'm talking to a lot of poker experts this morning, but just in case you don't know, when you go all in, it means you take every chip you've got, you put them all in the middle of the table, you hold nothing back because you believe you have the winning hand and cannot be beaten, so you go all in. 
Now, if you just want to play poker and keep the game going, you don't have to be that bold. If you want to win a tournament, you absolutely must. When you think you can't be beaten, you go all in. That's how you play. And I realized that's what was missing from my life. I had never gone all in for Christ. I had never made that kind of a total commitment. I had given Jesus my heart, but I didn't give him all my ambitions. I didn't give him my ego. I didn't give him my dreams and all my wants and wishes. So that day in the theater, I bowed my head and I prayed and I went all in. And I told Jesus, whatever you want me to do, I will do it. Whatever you want me to be, I will be that. Wherever you want me to go, I'll go do that. Nothing in the whole world mattered more to me then and now than doing whatever Jesus wants me to do. And I realized that day in the theater, I finally got my priorities straight. That was nine years ago. And now look, <laughs> I'm being ordained as a pastor of the church I love so much. Apparently God was not finished with me, even though I was clumsy and selfish and short-sighted and silly and full of myself, I apparently don't have as much power as God. He could overcome all of that and still get me where he wanted me to go. And today he is fulfilling a promise that's 50 years old. At all two services before this, and even now I'm failing again, I wanted, <laughs> I wanted to describe to you what this moment feels like for me, and I, I can't. I, um, I'm excited. I've been having trouble sleeping all week looking forward to this. I really have been waking up like, oh, my gosh. And uh, I certainly am excited. I'm certainly happy. Um, when I take my eyes off of Christ, I feel terrified. Um, but when I look at him, I'm just blessed and, and happy. Uh, I am not naive about the challenges of being an elder, as Pastor John talked about. Uh, I've been meeting with them for the last maybe year and learning an awful lot about church leadership. And I know, I know, I know I have so much more to learn, but I want to make you a promise because it's true. I'm not relying, and I never will rely on my education or my experience. I am totally relying on the God that got me here. And I know will see me through to do the work he's given me to do. I do have an agenda for our church, and it's really simple. And here it is. As a church, let's be all in. Let's be all in. Let's give Christ everything we are, everything we've got. Let's do everything for him. Focus only on him. Today we're honoring our Lord because he, he could take a life like mine um, and, like I said, get it where he wants it to go. And the truth of the matter is the sky is the limit for each one of you and for our church if we keep our eyes on him and give him everything we have. I, I just want to tell you... Um, I was going to say from the bottom of my heart, but I don't know what compartment it comes from. I guess my whole heart. I love you so. Um, and it is the greatest privilege of my life.
to serve you any way that I can. I just want to say thank you. God bless you for letting me be part of this church and for accepting me. I think you can see that what both Rob and Brian mentioned, this is the kind of man that we want to help lead us to where we go as a church. We are blessed beyond your wildest dreams because we have watched Dave. We are blessed for this man. I really love him more than I can ever tell you. Every time he shared, it was like the first time. I heard this message now three times and I was more excited about this one than the others. This was really great. You did a fantastic job. I want to ask both Brian and Rob to come on up right now and uh, also the family. Would the family come up please at this moment and to stand with us and to stand with, uh, what does he call you, Gramps? Gramp Gampy. Gampy. And stand with Gampy. <laughs> Hi, Callie. Come on. Get that. Yeah, thanks so much. And also get that mic ready. I want Callie to pray if you will. Um, last night and this morning we were treated with, for Callie to pray for us, uh, with, for Gamps, and uh, for, uh, for our church, and she will in a moment. But out of obedience to our Lord, we're going to anoint David with oil. What I'd like to have you do, if you, if you feel led to stand up, and for those of you that would like to come forward to kind of just surround this, uh, this altar area, and uh, even to lay hands, thanks yeah, for thanks. coming. Yeah, yeah, I'd love you to do that. Anybody else want to stand up and come forward? I mean, or just stand. You don't have to come forward. Come on, Mick. Come on, Sherry. Anybody and all that would like to come and be Tony Perfect. Couldn't be better. And what we're going to do right now is just anoint Dave with oil. And <laughs> this is his, uh, his music prof uh, teacher at, uh, at Whittier High. Yeah. And uh, took him to, uh, to Washington uh, uh, for, uh, Nixon. for the Nixon's inauguration. And uh, was in the Rose Bowl. This gentleman here is a great, great teacher uh, in, in our, our schools, and was Dave's teacher. How, how, does, how do you look older than him? I, I don't, even, I don't quite, I don't quite get that. He's always had that youthful appearance. <laughs> it is so good that you're here to. to, to so we're going to anoint Dave with oil, and that's just out of obedience unto the Word of God, uh, because uh, we 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 believe that we ought to follow what our God, our Lord says about all things. And so we're going to put a little oil on his forehead as I can get some out of here. And we're going to pray. And then, Callie, we're going to let you pray after I get through. Okay, honey? Thanks. Father, um, with this oil, we, uh, in obedience, come before your throne of grace. And we come on behalf of this man whom we love here at this church, whom we know that you love. Father, that you had your hand upon him during those times where... He, he felt like he maybe denied you, and yet no way. You held him closely. Uh, you made this promise that you would never leave nor forsake any of us, Father, that come to you. And Dave is a testimony to that. And now, Father, we give this testimony to, to you before your throne of grace, this man. 
We ask that you'll help to guide us as a church through his wisdom, that we will not turn from the left nor to the right away from your word, that we would, we would hold fast to the very word of God that David and Brian and, and Rob and, and I and so many others in this church adore, as that is your word. Would you, would you uh, with this oil, anoint him, Father, to really lead us carefully, lead us uh, faithfully. And Father, be the man uh, and the husband and, and the father and, uh, and all of that in this family that, that you ask him to be. And for us as a church, that he would be uh, a leader that we would willfully and very honorably uh, follow and serve. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Amen. Callie, would you pray for us? Thanks. Is it ready to go? Testing, okay. You ready to pray for us? Dear God, please help all church and please help all of our families and please help all of our kids and please help um, um, Campy and Amen. Yes. Couldn't be better. <laughs> Told you it was good. <laughs> Thank you, Kelly. That was great.